I'm sick of being broke. I was a very, very broke person growing up and especially in college. So I had a chance to go work at Quicken. Some people that changed my life and went from broke, broke, broke to six figures in six months and then turned into a quarter million. My uncle always had me reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I was playing Cash Flow Quadrant at 10 and I had these thoughts in my head for decades, literally. And I'm seeing it and I'm like, why am I so damn scared to do this? All these people are doing this. And as I was talking to these people trying to get mortgages, I realized they didn't come across very bright. I'm like, if you can do rentals, I can probably do this too. And that's when I finally got my first rental. And after a while, boom, got a bunch of rentals, started real estate brokerage, then I started mortgage brokerage, property management, and now here we are. My grandfather has a great saying, which is you only have 20% of the information and 80% is up to instinct, whatever you want to call it. And not everyone's made for it. And they're like, how can I be successful? How can I make money? I go, well, choose your poison, buddy. Like, what are you good at? Are you okay with making phone calls? Are you okay with door knocking? You got to pick something you're going to be good at and you got to run with it. Everybody, we are back today with another episode of the Fetch It Podcast and we have my good buddy from Michigan, fellow Midwest boy, Matthew McCall Stillman. Matt, how are you doing today, man? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Really excited to be here and, you know, can't believe that, what, a month ago, David, that's when we finally met? Absolutely, dude. Feels like all three of us have had that moment in the last year where we met somebody special and grew into something fast. Absolutely. uh, Pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, I think hell, Yoni. How long have you and I known each other? What a year, maybe. Seems like it's been like five years. It's crazy. I but think, I, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think this might be the first time we've had three like Midwest Midwest boys. We got a Michigan guy, an Indiana guy, and an Ohio guy hanging out together. We're like, you know, cornfield like bros. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my dad, my dad went to Michigan. We grew up in Cleveland. You can imagine. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, you know, everybody that uh, knows Matt typically knows him as, oh, you know, my broker, Matt, not just Matthew McCall Stillman. So who was Matt, you know, kind of at the beginning, how take us back to like, how did you get started in real estate? And then we'll dig into kind of your Airbnb story and how you got going into that. And then we'll dig into a little bit of your coaching, but like, what was kind of the beginning? How did you get started in the real estate world? Um, I got started indirectly or just kind of being around it. Um, I finished up at U of M. Um, I got my degree in finance and medical sciences. Got two degrees. Um, didn't know if I wanted to be a doctor or if I wanted to go and do finance stuff and be cool like the guys on Wall Street, but stay in Michigan. Of course, that would never work, but that's college mentality for you. Um, so um, as I was applying for uh, some med school programs, a PA program as well, some of the, the rules changed and I, they were, it was going to set me back another six months to a year, depending on what requirements were necessary. So I said, screw this. I'm sick of being broke. Um, I was a very, very broke person growing up and especially in college. So I had a chance to go work at Quicken, um, worked at Quicken, um, met some people that kind of changed my life and um, went from broke, broke, broke to six figures in six months. And then uh, then it turned into a quarter million, you know, a year. Um, that's That's how I got started. But the thing that was crazy is I'm looking at all these people's, you know, underwriting. I started teaching underwriting, became the leader there, team lead. Um, and I was looking at all these returns. I'm seeing all these people with, you know, everybody's making six figures is what I was seeing. Like everybody who could buy houses. I couldn't believe how many people make six figures in this world. And I didn't even think that was possible. I thought it was a rarity. It was a special elite group that could make six figures. And that was kind of my first demystifying moment where I went, damn, these people are out here making money. Second moment was when I looked at almost all these people that were making six figures, probably 30% of them had rentals. And I was like, all these people got rentals. I always, my, my uncle always had me reading rich dad, poor dad. He played, I was playing cash flow quadrant at 10 
And I had these thoughts in my head for decades, literally. And then I'm seeing it and I'm like, why am I so damn scared? Why am I so damn scared to do this? All these people are doing this. And as I was talking to these people trying to get mortgages, I realized they didn't come across very bright. I'm like, if you can do rentals, I can probably do this too. And that's when I finally got my first rental. And after a while, boom, you know, got a bunch of rentals, started real estate brokerage. Then I started mortgage brokerage, property management. And now here we are. It's fantastic, I, man. Before David asked a question, I just want to say I have some very close friends that work and worked at Quicken right out of school from in the Cleveland office. So I know all, it's an amazing culture, Quicken. I have a, still have a friend still in the Cleveland office, Shmuel Kagerlitsky. I don't know if you know him, but um, yeah. yeah. Anyways, amazing company, great training. And I, I'm we're excited to get into this. This is a unique story. Yeah, that's awesome. So what uh, I know that you're you're heavily into the short-term rental space now. And so was that first one, was it a short-term rental or did you go long-term rental because you thought that was easy and safe? Or? You know, I, I brought this up on a coaching call the other night. Um, it was long-term. Um, but the thing that a lot of people don't understand, it was my first deal was a partnership. Mm. Um, I had a friend that was making money and I was just getting into it, but I was still, I was still afraid. A lot of people don't, you know, they know you now. When you meet people, they know you now. They don't know that you went through all that same crap they're probably going through. Um, and I was explaining to them, I was like, you know, I was afraid. I was afraid I couldn't do it. And so I wanted a partner. And my buddy, he had, he was on his way to becoming a multimillionaire very quickly. Um, and he had a lot of cash. He was like, I need write-offs. Help me out. Help me out. Um, so we set up a partnership. Music, music to your ears, man. Oh, yeah, dude. No, I made my day. Um, and I... <laughs> It's hard to imagine it now, probably, if you know me well, but I approached it so trepidatiously. I was afraid he was going to tell me no or get bent. He's like, how dare you? But I was like, how about this? I'll bring 10% of the money. You bring 90%. But everything that we make, we split 50-50 above and beyond, um, you know, all the, the cashes and expenses for running it. And I said, as for, and as for a validation of, of me putting it together and running it, you don't have to do anything. You just be a silent partner. Um, when it comes to the equity, if I do any add value play, if I, let's say we buy a property for a, a hundred thousand and we put 50 grand into it, um, up to 150 to get that, that property going, we're going to split all value of that. Um, still at the 90, 10, mm. um, but anything above 150, we sell it for 200, that 50,000 gets split 50, 50. Nice. So you get, we get equal splits on our initial capital, but we split evenly everything that I built up. So he was like, you know what? I love that because it incentivizes you to do well for us. So that was it. And that was my first seven properties were that. And then I bought in for higher equity since then. So I have a larger percentage of those properties now. And um, we started with a 20% management fee. So I was making my 10% plus, the, plus that. So it was 30% on those properties. Now we're at 50. Um, and then we kind of just kept scaling and bought more properties alone. And I think um, coincidentally, the very first property we bought, we finally converted that last year to a short-term rental. Hmm. Uh, unfortunately, our, my, one of my, I think he's my second tenant I ever had. And he died, unfortunately. Um, and we took it over. We rehabbed it. We turned it into an STR finally. And what's crazy is that property became four businesses is what I realized. Like, A, it was a long-term rental. We learned that business. B, it was a partnership. So I learned the partnership game. Hmm. Um, C, it became a short-term rental. But... Um, D it was also a co-host because I let my wife be the co-host manager for it. So, and she retired from her job, um, as a pharmacist almost a year ago this November. So it's, uh, 
it's so amazing to see how what if i didn't make that move i wouldn't and i also wouldn't have got my, my real estate brokerage going God, i didn't even think about that till now or my mortgage brokerage so it really six six businesses from one decision to finally go that route yeah and so this is why i i preach to everybody that it's so so important just get the first property. Who cares if it's not a home run? You could get a single, a base hit, doesn't matter if it cash flows a hundred bucks a month, who gives a shit? As long as you're making something, because you just use that property to be your training wheels in four different avenues of business, five different if you're counting, you know, brokerage and everything else. You just need that one property to get your training wheels. And then some people, you know, that's why uh, you know, we talk to whenever we're talking about coaching, like getting an arbitrage, you know, that's only like one aspect of everything, you know, like that that really only harps on like cash flow. Not a big fan of like building an arbitrage business, but if you have somebody that's super timid and they're afraid to get in and they just need something, they need a little win just to prove that it works, get into an arbitrage property and you learn so much on the job training while you're making a little bit of cash. So yeah, that first property was your training wheels that kind of like, you know, slung you into greatness that you're at now. Thank you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Trust me, the more I think about it, I've been like, wow, that was, that was such a major event. I'm glad you, you know, recaptured that too. For sure, man. Where... Just for the audience to know, from that first property, where are you? Where are you sitting at from a portfolio perspective right now? And 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 part two to the question: What do you think is the biggest lesson in the in the scale hmm. that you remember that that you feel holds dearest to your heart? Um, owned, we have fifty one properties now, um, and we manage another thirty six. So um, there's sixty seven. Airbnbs between owned and managed. Um, so we have, we have a lot of experience at this point. Um, and that scale has been huge. And I think kind of to answering that second part of that question, like, and I, I know you guys could probably resonate with this, but some people think you got to start off with one or it's gotta be just the perfect property. Kind of like we just hit on. Right. And that's not the case. And I, I've actually proven it in math that it doesn't have to be that way too. Like you can still, once you factor in appreciation and taxes, even if it's a cash flow net zero, it's still a win. It's still, mm -hmm. you are better off because you learned a business. You might even learn it's not a good business for you, yeah. but because you now own that rental property, you are still ahead period. As long as you bought right, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but scale wise, never ever discount the value of captured experience because whether it's a good or bad property starting off as you accrue like moment after moment, house after house, God, man, you'll see, trust me. I look back and I, I see how I could have designed better. I could have managed better. I could have grown faster. Um, I could have bought bigger. Um, and you know, you hear a lot, especially in the multifamily world, cause that's also something I, would, I have been around. Um, but you know, I would say buy, get, don't buy single family, buy multifamily. And you know, I don't know that that's really the case for everybody, but I think what it is is saying, don't be afraid to stay in these, these small cruddy deals. A lot of people go, I want to buy a cheap property that's cash flowing a ton, but usually anything that's still available at 15 to 25% cash on cash for a long-term rental, you're in a really rough market. You might be in a D or F area. And because of that, you also have a high volatility of theft or non-payment. So like, just because you're paying less for the the asset doesn't mean you're not actually in the grand scheme of holding it, not paying more. And that's yeah. an ignorant thought. And I try to like to express to people, you know, you want to buy in C C plus areas as much as possible. If you want to play the game of numbers, if you at scale at a hundred properties in D and you presume 25% vacancy, yeah, it could work. 
and you got yeah. these young, you know, but I, I think there's a lot of, yeah, I, I completely yeah, agree with that because there's, there's so many people that, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, I want to take the safer route. I'll buy the $50,000 property in Detroit, but it's like, then you are going to hate the game of real estate. Cause you're going to think, wow, real estate sucks. Cause nobody ever pays their bills. I'm having to evict people right and left. They trash my properties, blah, blah, blah. Those are the people that you see in the YouTube comments saying real estate's a scam. It's all bullshit. Don't listen to these guys talking, you know, but then if you're, you know, somebody that's buying a nice property in a nice area that doesn't cash flow quite as much and it doesn't pencil out to you know some crazy cash on cash but you never have to think about it for five years like which one's better you know and it appreciates you know 20 percent or something over that five years yeah it's it's uh it's something that is a big misnomer in the real estate world that drives me crazy Nailed it. I don't even yeah. need to talk anymore. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're all in the Midwest though. So, uh, let's, let's, uh, talk about the Midwest a little bit because now it seems like the Midwest is kind of, you know, there's a, there's a, a big eyeball on it right now from the coastal, you know, East coast, West coast, because you can't find cash flow out there. So everybody's looking in towards the Midwest. So what has kind of been your, I mean, you have a, you know, you have a brokerage and everything else. Has there been a lot of outside influence? Are you seeing more investors like out of state investors coming in? And, uh, what, what's your thoughts on the Midwest real estate market? um i like you love it um, and i you know i've gotten to this point you know I'm, I'm i'm around on a lot of things and you know for the last couple of years i've been focusing on being a great um broker for short-term rentals and then i made the big i was doing one-on-one coaching but now it's my big focus for the rest of the year and into next year is you know the group model but i still want to help buy properties but it's got to be with the right people and here's what i mean by that a lot of people are still chasing, you know, the new shiny toy, right? You know, they like the idea of having one, but they don't know what they're doing with it. And I, I brought up this concept of I could, but I could give you the best property in the best area, and they're like, oh, great, yeah, I'll take it. I'm like, yeah, but will you? Because some people still need to see the data. I need to be a data, data, data. And you know, if you're coming from California, Colorado, Arizona, Texas, Tennessee, whatever, the data is not the same here. It's mm -hmm. just not, we don't have, we don't have like the depth and width. We don't have the density. Um, and because of that, some people are still not going to be willing to go that route. So for the people that are looking for opportunities and are okay with being ahead of the curve, Michigan Midwest is still very much ahead of the curve. And I bet you any of those people, if I told you, Hey, don't you wish you could have bought in Florida or California five to 10 years ago? Damn right. They would, right? A hundred percent. There's no question. So that's the thought, right? And right now, I think the Midwest still has that opportunity. Um, and if you don't, if you are completely data driven, it's not going to be the right opportunity for you. So I think that that's kind of where that disparity comes. But for the people that can understand data indicators and like imp imply data, the enemy method, what's not there, what's here's what it is here. If you got two beds doing fifty thousand on a lake, four beds probably not going to be doing fifty. It's probably gonna be doing a little bit more. So mm. you, know, you need to see those things. You know, if it's if it's, if it's a and trust me, I was looking at some this morning, but ugly too bad, but ugly. I mean, it was embarrassing that it, it's got like 80, 84 point twos, but it made 50 grand. And it's like the pictures are just manure. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible in every way. And it made 50 grand. I'm like, God, like I could get any other two bed here. I could probably do 75. Doesn't even have a hot tub. So it's like, let's, if we, if we internalize that and look at a few other variations of data, looking at three bed and four bed sets, in comparison, we can find out a lot of things. And I think, I think anybody who's ready to be ahead of the curve should be looking at the Midwest.
I'll, t- I'll tell you, I think what you're describing about people is just a, it's a human fallacy is that there's analysis paralysis, even within some masterminds that I'm a part of, that Dave and I are a part of. I've seen not everybody, but I've seen people, I, you know, but I'm almost done a build for a year. They're still thinking about what they're going to do and they haven't done anything. And I think that some people need to work on their, uh, the emotional self-limiting beliefs before getting into business because they're going to find a problem and any question mark you're you're my grandfather has a great saying i think and i want you to take the baton from from this saying which is you only have 20 percent of the information and 80 percent is up to instinct intuition and whatever you want to call it mm. and, and not everyone's made for it you know it's what it is like don't do it then you know yeah yeah. So uh, a mutual friend of all of ours, the Carwells, you know, Sarah and Emily, the, you've worked with them in the past and they had something really, really good on their Instagram the other day to where one of the properties that they had purchased, it was one of the lake house properties. They were saying that they just kind of like bought it on a gut feeling like you were saying, Yoni. And they were like, I know this thing's going to make money. I know it's going to do well. And plus they're interior designers. So they knew they were going to knock it out of the park. And I forget what the exact numbers were, but they essentially like if they would have gone off of air DNA numbers, that it would have produced, I think it was like 30 or maybe even $40,000 annually less per air DNA than what they actually achieved. And so are you seeing that commonly in the Midwest? It's funny you say that. Um, I should do a post about this. Thanks for that. <laughs> and yeah, they're, they're great. I love them. They've actually improved our design approach. Hmm. Um, that's the, that's my biggest takeaway from them and my willingness to bet on myself, which I've been doing since before. You know, I was buying properties when there was no data. Air DNA and SDR insights were not even a thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like <clears throat> I had make decisions based on my gut and my instinct of what I felt could, could be successful. And if it wasn't successful, I had to tweak it till it damn was. Yeah. And that's, and that's the true sign of an entrepreneur. If you want to be an entrepreneur, be an entrepreneur. If you want to be an investor, give your money to somebody that knows what to do. Right. Um, but going back to that thought, um, <laughs> going back to that thought, appreciate you, man. Um, I went, I looked at, um, five of my properties that I bought, like one of my oldest one, my first one, one of like my next couple. Cause those were the ones where I was most worried. And then my last few, and I think it might actually be six that I looked at, but what I found was what I as best I, some of this is, some of it, some of this is going to sound like BS, but as best as I could remember what my projections were, I wrote those down and then I went and I looked at what AirDNA said it could make. And I looked at what I had made in the last year and I looked at all those variations. And what I actually found was, um, my net on average between all the properties was 15% higher than my projections. Mm-hmm. And my projections were also higher than what AirDNA projected. So, yeah. So it told me, I was like, and here's one other fact that getting more granular in the data, my gap of variation was higher in the beginning than it is now. Mm. Why? Cause I had more data to rely on as I got further in and I was getting better because I had more data and understanding of the markets and what I was doing. I could, I could more accurately predict what it was going to do on the more recent properties. Um, there's only a couple that have been, you know, continued outliers. Um, but it's been so interesting to see that. And I think Sarah and Emily have, have done that as well. And, you know, I'll, I'll even, I'll give one more set of kudos to really both of them. Um, probably, probably more on Sarah because of her Bitely property. Um, I'll never forget when I first started talking to her, but I told her straight to her face. I think you're nuts. I can't believe you even bought this. There's no, I told her I would have never bought this property. <laughs> 
And guess who wishes he could have bought 10 of those? <laughs> like, and that's the, that's the thing. And I guess even kind of following this conversation of Sarah's conversation, Sarah stuff, but, um, man, I'm getting, she should pay me for these ads, uh, <laughs> but, uh, we bought, I found this property and I was like, dude, there's something about this property that's catching me. And she goes, Oh my God, I wish, but there's no data. I'm like, you, you of all people tell me, Oh no, there's no data. I'm like, I'm telling you, this is cool. A couple of weeks later, we're selling the market. I go, let's look at it again. She was like, I don't know, man. I kind of want to do it. I'm like, that's what I'm saying. And then she said, I don't know. It's still kind of crazy. And then after a couple of days, we said, you know what? Let's, let's really give this some real thought. Let's get serious about it. That property became known as orange Cadillac. Uh -huh. And this property, um, when you just looked at the listing photos, you said, there's something special about this property just from the listing photos. And we said, we can make this better. We can add amenities. We can do some unique things. And we sure did, man. Where there's this weird, ugly, all cement bunker esque room, two rooms. Uh, we blew out the wall, turned it into like this theater, like, um, this like, uh, speakeasy theater and like bar area that's got a hidden door that you got to slide to get to it. And then we did, we added a hot tub. It already had a, um, a pool there. It had a, uh, um, waterfall feature and pond. So it's had all these cool things going on. It had some Viking appliances. Um, and we bought it for 500. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were just going to buy it just her and I, and in the process we said, you know what, what if, uh, what if we brought an investor so we didn't have to bring the money in? Um, and before we knew it in two weeks, we raised all the money for it. And I was like, Oh wow, this is pretty cool. And it was our first shot at doing like kind of a, a mini syndication, you know, deal, little GPLP situation. They still have voting rights. That's one thing we wanted to build in there. There's, they have contingent voting rights because we wanted to make sure that they had some say. Mm -hmm. Um, but with, and this goes back to like being clever with your partnership structure. And we did have an SEC attorney to look over. So we're good. We're good. Um, but that being said, um, we projected, we're like, Hey, this thing should do at least 150 is what we thought. Um, and we, we, there's some upper end opportunities with that property, but, uh, we finally bought it last November. I think we got it up and running at the very end of January. It probably might've been the first week of February. Um, and we had some, Oh crap moments. And mind you, all five of us as partners are all Airbnb operators, hmm. all of us. And what do you, it's kind of like putting five drummers in a room and saying, play on the same beat. <laughs> and they're all going to do it different. They're all going to mm -hmm. do it different. And it was kind of tough, but you know, we agreed that, you know, my wife, Sam and Sarah would be the head of that. And we kind of had to, you know, there was input and some of it was great. Some all of, all of the input was great. It was all experienced input, but not all of it was ex Michigan experienced. Mm -hmm. And we kind of, we kind of, we, we agreed to change it up. We said, you know what, maybe we'll learn something. Let's let go. Cause we didn't start off very strong. We we're actually a little worried for like the first 45 days. We left, we kind of let said, okay, we'll try some of those things. And it wasn't hitting. And I just had, I had a freak out moment. I said, stop, we're doing it our way. Nope. So I'm going back to what works for me. And then boom, start hitting. And like there's some, there's some things about like your local knowledge that you just gotta, you gotta run with and you gotta be proud of sometimes too utopian is, is a bad move. I'll yeah, give you so, more in a minute, but go ahead. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of dig into that? Like what, what was the, the Michigan knowledge versus like, Oh, maybe West coast knowledge or Florida knowledge or whatever. Cause I mean, there are definitely different short-term rental markets. Yeah. So what kind of things do you think were more specific that you guys decided to change? I think, I think there was a little bit of pride about, no, our homes worth this starting off, but um, and it's funny cause we had a house in, we have a house in Traverse, uh, Traverse city that, mm -hmm. um, when we started there, we started off proud 
And mm-hmm. we said, no, this home deserves this. And that was the worst damn thing we could have done. And mm-hmm. we shot ourselves in the toe for like 40. 40- what does that mean physically in the physical world? You start, start off, off proud. With a number that was too high. They don't, you got to prove yourself. You got to prove that you're a property worth staying at. Right? So we have a new rule where we lower our price pretty significantly for the first 10 stays until we got 10 stays. Mm-hmm. Then we start mo- you know, working our way up. But if you don't start with, with a, like, I'd rather people go, I can't believe I got such a great deal on this one that like I'm leaving the most excellent review like possible. And now everybody's going to read that the top 10 reviews are all fives and holy crap. What a, what a win. I like, I hope to God this will be available for me the next time me and my family come up. Those are the kind of responses we got. You know, Sam is a, is a godsend best host I've ever had. The design, everything was comfortable. The kitchen was stocked like you wouldn't believe it even had a mandolin. Like the craziest things, like you know, like when you when you get those responses where they're like, "I was, I was home and then some." I felt like mm-hmm. people were looking over my shoulder, predicting what I was going to want, and just had it. Mm-hmm. Like when you do that, when you leave with that focus of hospitality and amenities, it really hits and care. You know, you just, you're checking in. It doesn't all have to be automated. I, th- I, re- I recommend you definitely throw in a couple like. Depends on your scale and your system. Don't get me wrong, but really showing that there's a human behind there is huge. And think about all the DMs we all get today, right? Yeah. Like, we, like we can't tell if it's a bot, if it's just a VA or whatever. But like today, somebody sent me something. I was sure it was a bot, and then they made a joke that only would have applied to me. I'm like, that VA and that bot could not be smart enough to come up with that. And I was like, <laughs> I was gonna delete you, dude, until you said that, and now you have my ear. And Something about when you ask those questions, and think about this as a host, when you ask those questions about, hey, what are you coming out for? What are you coming to enjoy your stay? Like, oh, I'm coming up with my family, blah, blah, or whatever. It's anniversary. Okay. Their first day they check in, the first thing you should be saying is, hey, once you have the best time for your anniversary or with your family, uh, we made sure that, you know, you have access to, you reconnect it. Otherwise, it's just a nuisance question to them, right? Yeah. They're like, ah, get out of my ear. Like, you don't need to know what I'm doing. That's private, right? Go ahead, man. Hormozy talks about automating as much as you can, but personalize as much as you can. I love that because I've never heard anyone talk about that. My next question is going to be, what's your favorite uh, favorite automation that, that you use to scale? Really what I'm going to ask is how, how have you peppered in these personal touches along the way? Well, and, and sorry, I, I just want to throw a little jab in too. Like that, if for anybody that listened to that little nugget, what a brilliant – SOP to have for a VA that might be running your stuff. Like, Hey, you ask them why they're coming and then you need to circle back and see if you answered that question. That's, that's brilliant, man. I love that. But then, sorry, go ahead with Yoni's for sure. For sure. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Um, so, so you're going to laugh and this is the part that's kind of crazy to people. We don't have a whole lot of like automations. We just have a couple really good VAs. Um, and we did build out our SOPs and it's funny. Like, I think, People are going to hear SOPs, SOPs, standard operating procedures, right? Yeah. What are your plans for how you work? Have, if somebody's sick that day, you give them this so the other person doesn't drop the baton. That's what an SOP is. Um, people don't even know that, right? And, but it, when they hear this, some of these people are listening to this call and going, oh, shit, I don't have SOPs yet. I got to get these. Hey, can I get your SOPs? Can I use them as my basis? And they freak out about this. Like, oh, I got to have this check item list. And it's good to have. But you can try to take from anybody else, but how you run your business, it might not be applicable. It just, mm-hmm. you know, it might be, their, their business might be completely different. And that's why, like, sometimes I don't think you need to overthink sharing your SOPs. Like, I'm not saying, I mean, if everybody reaches out and wants my SOPs, 
Maybe I'll say maybe. <laughs> Depends um, if you're a bot or not. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Are you a bot? Did you say oh, did you, I need a good joke before, before <laughs> I get to you? Um, but the thing is, like, how you work is not going to be the same. Same when people are getting into real estate sales. As like when, when new agents come to our brokerage, we got just over seventy right now. But like a lot of them come and they're like, "How can how can I be successful? How can I make money?" I go, "Um, well, choose your poison, buddy. Like, wh what do you want?" What are you good at? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, are you okay with making phone calls? Are you okay with door knocking? Are you, are, do you prefer to be an attractor? Are you good with social media? Like, I'm not good with any of that. I'm like, you're going to be broke. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pick something you're going to be good at and you got to run with it. Same with Airbnb. Like, you might be a great host. You may be great at just setting up properties as Airbnbs. You might be great at just financing Airbnbs or finding them, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not, maybe you're good at all of those and you're just a unicorn. I wouldn't even call myself a unicorn. I'm good at it pretty much all of it, but I wouldn't say I'm great at everything. Mm -hmm. I'm great at finding properties though. That's one thing I've really trained myself to be, but when it comes to managing, I know what to do, but I don't have the capacity anymore. So my wife, she handles a lot of that and, it, and agreeing to a system. I think, and Dave, I, I know, you know, this relationships, right? Between partnerships, spouses, maybe girlfriends, boyfriends, whatever. Um, there's nothing more special than getting your person, you know, platonic or otherwise, in sync with you mm -hmm. it like it is a game changer and i promise you my wife did not care for real estate when we started she when i go to like real estate meetups or whatever she was like oh my god this again oh my god i can't wait to go oh this sucks and she's not terrible she doesn't sound that terrible i'm i'm, I'm exaggerating she, she's gonna probably punch me in my shoulder when i leave um but the point is you never know how you're gonna adapt or what's gonna call to you and when I had a four unit, I decided to convert two of the units to short terms, um, kept two as long. Those are still doing very well. Um, I had one unit managed by one of my old partners um, and she did a good job. But the second unit I was about to turn over, long-term tenant was leaving. I was like, let's rehab this thing. And I went to Sam and I was like, "Hun, what do you think? You got your real estate license. You don't really use it, but, and you know, she's got a pharmacy license too. That's her focus. But I said, what if, what if you manage this? And she said, it's not really my thing. I said, I get that. But what if you did? What if you did and like you finally found a way into real estate that maybe you'd enjoy? And she's like, well, I kind of like the hospitality thing. And I was like, she's like, what if I ruin it? I was like, if you ruin it, easy. I give it back to our friend. Like I'll let her manage it or I'll manage it, whatever. And she was like, I don't know. I just, I'm afraid I'll ruin it. I was like, I don't want you to be afraid about ruining it, but I'm glad you're afraid of that. It means you care, right? Yeah. Being afraid is a sign of care. So I saw that. I was like, I'm willing to bet on that, right? So I, get, I was like, your call. I'll help you design it. I'll help you set it up. I'll help you get things moving. You take it over. And what did she do? She did better than it's ever been managed compared to the other unit. And then we added another unit to her. I was like, can you handle this? She's like, I don't know what if I do a bad job. Like, you said that last time. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We keep going. We keep going. Before you knew it, um, about last summer, we were in Jamaica for a real estate conference. Really cool one. Um, and they were, they called They were, you know, it was all real estate professionals and, you know, owners, but, you know, but, you know, build the rent models, you name it. And the head guy of the conference called out everybody in the audience and said, Hey, who's on the verge of quitting their job. And, um, it was a pretty powerful thing. This is Terry. Uh, and I was like, Oh man, I was like, you should raise your hand. You should, she was like, shut up. <laughs> I was like, you're so close. You're so close. And so we, he had met, he had met us the day before at the pool and he goes, you points right at her. And I, I just saw her just, <laughs> you know, like a turtle. Um, 
And she stands up. She goes, you, like, how long can you, till you can, uh, can retire, quit your job? And she goes, I don't know, maybe a couple of years. And she goes, why can't you do it by November? And just, she went blank for a second. She was like, you know, I don't know, maybe. And she was like, I want you to promise everybody you can do it. You can be financially good by November. She's like, I, I might actually be, you know, to be making six figures after her, after one year in co-hosting, she was already approaching six figures. Hmm. And so, cause she was doing good. She was good. We had a really good system. I'd find properties. I'd set people up. I'd buy properties. I'd give them to her. It was a really good system. And, um, she agreed in front of everybody and sure as shit, she quit in November and her year anniversary is coming up real quick. So hell yeah, it, dude, that's really a fantastic exciting. And story. That, and now co-hosting is almost at 200. Oh so, my gosh. Like, and that's so <clears throat> we added about a hundred in, in income per year from just co-hosting. But I think that we were able to grow at that rate because we've been doing so much. We built so much trust in the community. Um, and if we hadn't been doing that, I'm sure we wouldn't have grown at that rate. Not at, not with the level of relationships and trust we have with, with our clients, but it is what it is. I'm I'm sorry. I know I know there's so many there's so many caveats to this tale. But dude, you're a mon you're a monster with a big heart. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. That's yeah, that's, a, that's a real compliment. Same absolutely, to you. absolutely. I See, yeah, I uh, I knew as soon like the first conversation you and I ever had, you were like two Midwest boys, and we just like hit it off right from the get go. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I, this guy's a beast. We love him. Um, so now, uh, you know, with the the portfolio the way that it is, you know, like replacing a W two income, you know, like that's that's a big thing that everybody looks towards. And so, do you think that that like co hosting, like if somebody wanted to, like, hey man, I need to get out of my job asap? Do you think it's trying to do co hosting? Is it trying to do arbitrage? Is it trying to find partnerships? Like, what do you think maybe would be like the the best first step that uh, a newbie could make if they were trying to get into the real estate game? So I know. So I was in San Diego right after you and I met in yeah. Bel Air. Um, and I was on the co-hosting and arbitrage panel, co hmm. coincidentally. Um, and I, it was funny because I'm, I would have much rather been on a scaling and ownership type of panel. But I was on that when they needed to fill. And I was like, I got you. I got you. Let's do it. But I'm not a big arbitrage fan, kind of like you. Hmm. Um, and, um, and it's because... There's no wealth building activity there. And I, I, I speak on this all the time. Like you cannot have control of that property. And I've done one arbitrage and it was extremely successful and I didn't keep, yup, yup, my man. So <laughs> it's like, that's the thing. Like within the first three years of owning it, cash on cash was great, but stress on time was not, it's like we were. Whenever there was a fix, we had, especially when you're brand new, you don't want to pay for the fix. You want the landlord to pay for it because you're broke. You're still mm -hmm. broke. And you're like, I don't want to put money into your, your asset. And, but the thing is, that's also showing you where you're at with your business mind. And it's hard to put money into somebody else's asset. And it's going to eat at you when you do that. So that's why a lot of people don't like end up wanting to stay in arbitrage. You can, there's people that have made tons of money, but you know, I think fast money can be, you know, fast money you know, and yep. fast comes in quick out. and go away quick I've, I've actually put a fair amount of thought into this because we're also trying to grow our social media followings and you see way more people talking about arbitrage and i realized the things that grow on social media are the things that have low barrier to entry mm -hmm. anybody can do arbitrage so you have all these people saying zero you know for zero dollars you're going to make 10 grand a month whatever they say in the in the and it makes me sad because I want to bring up something specific, Matt, to your point about putting money into the asset. 
I love that I learned arbitrage because I learned Airbnb and I learned I learned how, how to deal with guests and I learned how to, you know, I, I just story that came off to my head is I had somebody who was allergic to things. I door dashed them vegetarian food to make them happy to get a good review. Like I've done, I've gone overboard. But specifically, what I'm thinking about is I had a bad porch with no railing, and the steps weren't fixed for six months into the lease. So I was getting dinged on bad review, on bad review, on bad review. Now the inside looked gorgeous because I spent top dollar to furnish it like a beast, but. I kept getting killed because the outside was not a thousand percent safe. So like, but I learned the business. So Dave and I always talk about it. Like, like, you know, unique builds in the, in the, in the, by the parks, national parks, MTRs in the big cities, but we never talk about arbitrage because we're both kind of freaked out a little, not that we, not to say we never would do it, but like, those are the issues, you know, I don't know. I just wanted to add on to your point. No, you, you nailed that, man. And, and that's the thing, like, let's, let's say you got a five-year run out of it, which, you know, a, a lot of these people talking about it on our, the low barrier entry because, oh, see, it will get you started with no money in, blah, blah. There's always money in. There's money one way or another. I promise you that. But even if it goes for five years, seven years, when the landlord does not want to renew because either they go, man, this person's been making up money on it. I want to do this. Or B, they just they get to a rate that they're trying to charge you that you don't want to pay. It's not as um, as reasonable for you to still make the same amount of money to validate your effort. You have all this furniture that you're not going to be able to re repurpose. It furniture does not travel well. It doesn't like let mm -hmm. let it go. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. You're I would say it's really small items, and then if anything gets broken or mangled along the way. It's a pain in the butt and just moving it and storing it. I've tried it. I've tried it twice. Tried to repurpose furniture twice. I will never do it again. It it's always more time and effort and energy and some some stuff just breaks. Or by the time it's there, it's like something's funny about it or it doesn't fit the room as well. Trust me, you're gonna the furniture cost is gonna be an L. And once that landlord doesn't renew, presuming that was the only one you had, you have no business now. Mm -hmm. You have zero business. Yep. You can it's take just, what you learned, but mm -hmm. your business no longer exists. It's it's exactly what like wholesalers or flippers or anything like that. You you literally have a job. You are purchasing a job that you need to work at to generate cash flow. And if you're not doing that job, the cash flow stops. As soon as you stop working, it stops. So that's I think people mistake and they swip swap uh, arbitrage with real estate investing, and that's not true because with true real estate investing, you should be making money while you sleep, and it should be generating you know wealth for you know, generations to come. And so, yeah, with arbitrage, you're only getting one of the levers of real estate, you know, and that's cash flow. And cash flow is the only thing anybody wants to talk about because everybody hates their job and they want to be able to quit. And so you're not getting all the really, really big things that people, once they start getting into a real portfolio, start to realize tax advantages, uh, appreciation on your property, depreciation, principal pay down on your property, like all of those things combined, like you were saying, you can basically have a cash flow uh, net zero property, but with the principal pay down, the appreciation, depending on what market you're in, you know, speaking in generalities, you're typically still coming out ahead. So that's why ownership is such a big thing. So arbitrage for training wheels, ownership for, you know, wealth moving forward. I did a baseline um, test where I talked to Ryan about it. Um, and I was, I was curious to see if you would agree. I, mm -hmm. I said, presuming a $250,000 purchase that was cash flow net zero. Um, 
if you bought that property and it was just that, and we presume general 3% appreciation um, and some, some tax write-offs from basic write-offs from your, your initial year, you're minimally probably looking at fifteen dollars to $30,000 of dollars saved or earned between the appreciation and the tax benefit. Minimal. It could be, it could be 50, but minimal just starting off with that property. So even if you did that, if you annualize 15 K that's over a thousand dollars a month. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and for most people, that's, that's a win. Like if you were, if you're going to be paying $45,000 of the government that year, then that's 30,000 now. Right. Yep. And that 15 K that's, that's a hell of a vacation, maybe a couple of vacations for people. Um, and it could be a car payment. Um, it could be a few things. Could be rent payment mm -hmm. for some people if they're really living like simple, like maybe a single person living yeah. in a studio, one bed, two bed. I don't know, but that's that's the point we keep got having to hit home because people really miss out on the fact that even if it's an L, people call it about oh I lost money, like not as much as you would have probably with the arbitrage, mm -hmm. and you still have the damn business. And even if you don't like the business, you can sell it, and you're probably gonna have a break even or sell it for a profit at the end of that year. Yeah. So I think it's still the move. Yeah. All, any, all anybody wants to talk about is cash flow, and all they want to talk about is what's the property going to do year one. No one thinks about what's the property going to be doing year five, year 10, year 15, and it, it doubles in price in that amount of time. Free business idea that I always like float around in my head is like somebody should have like um, a rating system for influencers or whatever word we want to use to like rate their course like before somebody buys because or like the validity of it because in the bulk the bulk of the airbnb noise space i actually know people that bought arbitrage courses and then like were tapped out of money so the little bit of courage they had also was depleted so even if they get another 10 grand they're not going to try again because they got completely you know screwed i come from a more fortunate situation where i have some whatever we don't need to get into it i have some help so i i'm more courageous when you're more courageous when you have help but i know people you know, so like anyone listening to this, like, you know, get with Matt, send him a DM because like, this is a guy of substance. And uh, if you're, if you're, if maybe if you've gotten screwed, this is somebody who gave is giving you very, like you hear in this podcast, depth of strategy and not just like telling you what you want to hear and what sounds good and makes your heart race. It's telling you what, what your brain's going to be like, oh, that makes sense. Like there's all these different ways of business and he learned it. You learn this, these four levels. So I just saying that for the audience. Yeah. And this will, this will be, this will be a great segue into kind of our closing part that I wanted to get into. So you mentioned that you were doing a little bit of coaching. So tell us what's going on with that and how can we kind of like pump that out to the masses. So if somebody was, does want to get a hold of somebody that's actually legit is actually crushing it and they're in a good market. That's, you know, got a low barrier to entry in the Midwest and they want to get started. How can they get a hold of you and tell us a little bit about that? Well, for, thank you guys so much already like these questions these comments you guys are too kind um, <laughs> well yeah to, to answer that question um you can always reach out to me uh on my link in bio on instagram um, i'm on facebook youtube you name it um but we have i got a little stand store thing there and if you can get connected either we have a mini course um for the str legend um mastermind and that's a really good way to get connected on depth of thought. We talk about nuance. Um, and the biggest things that we do that are different is we talk about acquisition on a level probably nobody talks about. Because I think I'm a real estate broker, I'm a mortgage broker. I've negotiated literally thousands of deals. And because of that, there, 
I can tell you everything. I can even hold your hand, especially if you're in Michigan. There's nothing we can't do with you guys. I think it's really fun because providing the the actual mortgage side too, it really makes it easy. You're not obligated to use that, but that conversation becomes so. If, if your barrier of stress is, and fear is getting into your first purchase, oh my God, we are going to pop that balloon. It'll be over. Um, but we're going to show that to you with data. We we do we analyze hundreds of, of deals every single week. Um, we have a, a data spreadsheet that we give exclusive access to all of our students and anybody on our VIP, VIP exclusive access list. So there's some really cool things we do. But beyond that, I think a lot of people are great at teaching Airbnb. Um, and I think people, some people are really great at design. Some people are really great at arbitrage. Um, but what we try to teach is real scale. Like how do you, going back to like how do you really scale, it's, it's the VAs. you got to get good VAs. And anybody that tells you when you scale, it's okay to not keep your superhouse status. That is bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> anybody says that, delete. I'm sorry. There's one person that I really like, and I can't believe they say it. I don't know if it's just for clickbait, but like I really respect that person too. But I will never, ever say that because that is still a moniker of how successful you have been in your response rate over a large portfolio. And that does say something about how you operate. Um, and plus, we're going to teach you guys a little bit more um, with long-term rentals. Um, we're even doing some stuff with insurance. Uh, there's, it's an ever-growing, evergreen program. So there's always things you're going to learn on scaling, partnerships, um, capital raising, you name it. So it's, it's pretty in-depth. It's pretty wide, too. So very exciting. Very nice. Hope, hopefully I didn't go too off the deep end there, guys. I'm sorry. No, that's no. perfect, man. That was perfect. Yeah, you know, there's lots of people that are looking around for actually legit people that actually know what the hell they're talking about. Cause they're, it's, it's, uh, such an unfortunate thing that as if you're a, a good marketer on Instagram, you don't actually have to know business all that well to be successful by slinging out a bunch of coaching courses and blah, blah, blah. And so you are somebody that can, you know, walk the walk as well behind, you know, what you're saying. So we're super excited to have you on, man. And, uh, we appreciate you coming on and chatting with us today. I think this has been one of like the easiest flowing podcasts we've ever had. This is fantastic, man. We really appreciate you coming on. Anything else before we get you out of here? No, guys. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. And again, if you guys want to find me, check my link in bio on Instagram, uh, Facebook, YouTube, whatever. All right. Go, go follow my broker, Matt, the Midwest, beautiful man over there, and he will get you set up with a Michigan property. All right, Yoni, anything before we get you out? One of the best pods we've ever had, straight up. And you Completely can check. Correct. We never say that. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. This was one of the best episodes of the Fetch It podcast. Thank you, guys. Until next time. Peace. Hey, guys. Take care.